Welcome to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. On this episode of the podcast, I interview Cicero, voice of the people. He's a data analyst based in Oakland, California. He's also a leftist, a revolutionary, a writer, and an ex-convict. And we focus on his story and his experience in the U.S. criminal justice system. I hope you enjoy the show. Solidarity forever. He's a concerned citizen, an anti-capitalist, and a revolutionary. Welcome to the podcast, Cicero. Thank you uh, very much. I appreciate it. Um, what do you want to get to? We got a lot. We got a lot uh, that we discussed on the pre-call. Uh, what tickles your fancy tonight? What do you want to get off your chest? Is there anything, or you want me to just rock and roll? I'll I'll let you uh, lead this dance, man. Well, let's not uh, beat around the bush here. Let's get to the elephant in the room, uh, formerly incarcerated. So what? how does that influence your political beliefs? Um, what's the law in California? I know a lot of states, uh, people that have a prison history or, or ex-convicts can't vote in elections or disenfranchise. So maybe you could talk about, uh, you know, your experience, maybe did it radicalize you and um, having you know done your time, paid your debt to society, has anything changed, or do you have limitations and things that you can't do um, because of your past background and um, you know the the history of being you know formally incarcerated? Yeah, so th- there's a lot there. Uh, so did it inform my politics? Absolutely. Um, I, I can even make the argument that uh, what I went in for was essentially. I would say derived from my political beliefs. Uh, there was a time where I was having a lot of financial difficulties because of a lot of, you know, existential factors that weren't really in my control. And uh, when I faced, you know, bankruptcy and uh, foreclosure on my house, I, I decided to turn to uh, bank robbery. And uh, there was a, you know, like a series of decisions that led to that point that were essentially out of desperation due to the capitalist paradigm that we all live in. And so when that happened, um, I had to make several choices. I I never used a weapon. um, So I I didn't actually get a whole lot of time as opposed to, and I had no criminal history. So that helped. And there was a, a period of time where I had a lot of free time to read and inform myself on a variety of ideological things. And it really did indoctrinate me more into my beliefs in terms of being against capitalism and finding fault in our current system, especially the incarceration system. 
and the reflection of how similar the tools of control within a prison system are to the tools of control within our society. What about when you got out? Um, are, we talk, I talked a little bit about it or, you know, asked the question, so let's ask it again. Are you able to vote? Are you disenfranchised? And do you have rights um, different than a person without a criminal history? Well, yeah, definitely in California, it, it tends to be more, uh, you know, progressive when it comes to sentencing rules. I, I am allowed to vote. In the last election, I did not vote. Uh, more of a political protest than it was a, you know, a disenfranchisement. Uh, in terms of uh, other restrictions, uh, the, the process getting out of a federal prison is is extremely stressful. Uh, what, something that they don't tell you about is you, you go to a halfway house and you're there for an indeterminate amount of time, depending on the amount of time that you served. And in the process, you, you're required to find a job if you don't already have one. If you, you're someone like me who comes from a, you know, welfare background without a family member with money or um, you know, someone that can help you find a job, you basically have to just figure it out on your own. And if you don't, you you stay there longer. And I have a family, and so it made it very hard uh, to go through that process. Uh, but I, I have been lucky uh, that I am pretty good with academic things, and I, I managed to get my degree and find work, which a lot of other people don't. Um, I, of course, can't own a, a weapon, which I, you know, I've I think it's a funny thing in California uh, and, you know, in general, because it's a federal uh, law that even if you commit a crime that has nothing to do with actual using of a weapon, you're deprived of the right of a weapon. And that goes to how elites, you know, use these types of slippery slope situations to disenfranchise people of their rights. What do you think about the gun laws? What do you think about gun culture in the United States? And what do you think about um, you being unable to uh, own a weapon? Uh, do you think that that's fair? Or do you think that that's something that's justified? Or do you disagree with that, um, you know, the way that law is written? I think the fundamental idea behind law is that the punishment should always fit the crime. So if, you know, in regards to the United States, we have a history of uh, protecting the right of arms. In fact, I'm probably on the side of, I would say, the lesser amount of leftists, especially leftists like myself who originally come from a liberal background. I used to be against, uh, I used to be pro-gun control. Um, I used to be a lot more, you know, like I had a family member that died of a violent crime, uh, but they were, you know, like murdered with a knife. They weren't killed with a gun. And so the idea to me that guns uh, somehow are the only uh, form of violence in the United States is ridiculous. You're far more likely to get killed by a car than you are by a gun. Um, and then in terms of my beliefs is uh, we have to protect our personal rights or individual rights because we have a corrupt government that is uh, working against us. And any chance the uh, citizenry in general, will give up a right, they'll, they'll take it. And we have to be very wary of those things. Do I think that uh, it's fundamentally something that should not be infringed upon? Like, uh, you know, someone who's, I, I can see there's situations where it makes sense in the abstract. My concern is always about where does that lead and who does that serve? And for me, I'm always wary of anything that serves our government and serves the elites because they're the same thing. 
And that's something that as, uh, you know, someone who's more progressive and liberal minded was really hard for me to uh, accept at first. Uh, it took a lot of things happening over the years for me to finally accept that fact. What do you think about the criminal justice system? I often tweet about it or talk about it, the two courts of law, one for the rich and powerful, one for everyone else. Do you have the same view as I do about the criminal justice system? Absolutely. I mean, there's there's no doubt in my mind. I'll give you I'll give you an example. Uh, this guy comes up to me when when I was uh, incarcerated and I was of course not able to pay my bill and I wasn't able to get out of uh, you know, I was being held basically indefinitely for like a year and, and some change actually in Canada. So I actually jail. I oppose cash bail too. I mean the criminal justice system is structured against poor people, disadvantaged people. I think the whole idea of cash bail is intolerable. I think we need to get rid of it. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. I'm, I'm about to actually give you an example of that. So um, my, my crime, I, I you know, robbed several banks, but I never used a weapon. I never used intimidation, never used violence. And the gentleman who approached me was like, hey, I, I saw you on television. Uh, you know, I was doing what you were doing. And I asked him what he was doing, and he said he was robbing banks. And then he proceeded to tell me that he you know, threatened people and, and, you know, used a gun. And uh, and I was perplexed because I was like, that's not what I was doing at all. You know, like that, that's maybe what you think what was going on, but I wasn't doing that. But I didn't tell him that because, of course, everything is alleged at that point. We're all being held, but he's just openly telling me all this. Yeah. Come to find out he's um, relatively wealthy. Um, his family is at least, but he's not. He just is, you know, a drug, uh, you know, a heroin addict. And he was doing it more for, you know, convenience. To, he just thought it'd be an easy way to get money right away without having to ask his family. Um, so he got Alan Bell. And and despite the fact that he used violence, despite the fact that he used a, a weapon, um, he got Bell. Uh, but I did not. And uh, essentially the same uh, at least, you know, code of the of the law, uh, but entirely circumstances that would favor me as the person who's less likely to, you know, repeat offense and also less likely to uh, commit violence. And um, I have no criminal history. He had a long criminal history, but he got bail, and I did not. And that kind of tells you what our justice system is about. Yeah, it's the best uh, criminal justice system money can buy. Um, <laughs> I like what, that. What about? Um... What about like corporations? Um, corporations pollute the planet. Uh, I made this example in one of my solo podcasts. Um, you know, let's say a minority um, in Alabama uh, commits um, a bank robbery. Um, or let's say, actually, I made this analogy. Let's say a minority um, in Alabama pollutes the drinking water of a town, an entire town. And, um, you know, let's say that, uh, you know, he's caught. And uh, what do you think would happen to that individual? Uh, let's say people even die, get poisoned. Um, let's talk about uh, forever chemicals, that kind of stuff. Because corporations do this kind of thing every single day. They might get a slap on the wrist. I saw uh, Amazon um, got like a $60,000 fine. This is a multi-billion dollar, maybe even a trillion dollar company at this uh, time in, uh, in history. Probably the richest country, uh, company ever. They have an app where competing uh, back to back. Um, but, you know, if, if a minority, if an actual, uh, if a corporation does it, they, they, again, they get a slap on the wrist. But if a minority did that in, in Alabama, they would maybe life, get life, life in, in prison. prison. 
or yeah. or maybe even the death penalty. And I think the same uh, for uh, bank robbery. Um, you know, potentially could get years, even decades in jail, even if you're not, um, you know, maybe in a less liberal state, maybe a, a state different than California. I don't know California politics. Maybe we can talk about that. But, um, you know, corporations, let's, for example, wage theft. It's the um, highest, fastest growing white collar crime Billions of dollars uh, are stolen from workers uh, illegitimately every single year, and yet um, you know nothing amounts to it. Maybe a fine if you can afford a lawyer and take on a corporation. Many people can't. So um, yeah, for some reason these corporations they are given the rights of immortal persons, um, all almighty persons um, that uh, you know essentially live on forever, um, and yet you know people people don't get rights, especially. Um, like I'm, in, I'm down in Texas, uh, so if you cross the border, you know, uh, in Texas um, into Mexico, you have virtually no rights. You might be put in a detention center, deported, um, you know, potentially, you know, malnourished, all, all sorts of things. Um, basically, you know, limited or almost no rights. But yet, uh, NAFTA gives corporations the right to do business in Mexico um, and essentially gives them legal status of a Mexican, um, you know. Citizen, uh, a corporation, a uh, illegitimate uh, private tyranny. So that's kind of what I what I see. Um, you know, people should have rights, and corporations should not. So that, that's where I think the root of all of our problems are in society is concentrated wealth and power, and the vehicles that the wealthy use to acquire that wealth and power are corporations. So, what say you about? Um, Again, just the corp- uh, the criminal justice system, and let's say a corporation did the same thing you did. Um, I, I don't think that uh, their board of directors or their executives would get anything more than a slap on the wrist. But yet, you got jail time, right? Yeah. Well, actually, so for for me, everything you said is one hundred percent my belief, and I, I mean, there's evidence galore to the fact that of the truth of what you said. Uh, for instance, you know, uh, Occupy Wall Street uh, was one of the things that got me into politics. I originally voted for Obama in 08 and was kind of a lib. Uh, you know, I was like, you know, Democrats are good people, Republicans are bad people. Uh, and it was around uh, when he bailed out the banks. You know, these people literally thrashed the economy, uh, disenfranchised millions of people from homes. Uh, that was one of the things that rad- radicalized me is watching family members lose their home. Uh, losing my home was one of the things that radicalized me and caused me to commit crime. And then uh, Occupy Wall Street was something that I was 100% on board with. And I, I thought the idea of uh, attacking at the time, you know, I was still on the mindset that capitalism was a given. I, didn't, I couldn't imagine a world without capitalism. So the idea of let's reform capitalism or, or stop these bad people from uh, committing crimes all the time and not facing any consequence. I mean, for the, for the fact of the matter, the, uh, the crash in, in 08, one person went to jail. And I believe he was just essentially like a, a low-level person. When untold amounts of crimes were committed, uh, people were defrauded, people were manipulated, and predatory lenders were going out there and essentially tricking people into uh, get, signing up for loans that they could never afford. And on top of that, uh, to, to further your case, uh, look at PG&E. Here in California, they literally burned down an entire town and killed hundreds of people. And they were given a felony. They were convicted of a felony for essentially, uh, you know, negligence leading to the death or manslaughter. Uh, and nobody went to jail for that. 
not a single person. They burned down a whole freaking town. I believe it's called um, Paradise, California, ironically, was burned down by PG&E. You can look that up. And not a single person faced actual jail time for that. What's PG&E stand for? Uh, Pacific Gas and Electric. Okay. So that's a utility out there? Yep. Okay. So essentially they weren't uh, repairing or taking care of And keep in mind, this is a, a, a repair company that, uh, sorry, a electrical company that's supplemented or funded by our government here in California. And they weren't doing what they were supposed to. And their power lines uh, weren't being repaired and it blew up. And the fire, the wildfire has caused, killed untold numbers of people. I mean, there's a possibility. Um, I won't get too far into the Maui thing because it's not. Yeah. But th- I believe something similar could have happened in Maui. Um, and then uh, to kind of further on what we're talking about here, look at J.P. Morgan. A part of the reason why I targeted banks was because I hated them. I hated them for what they did during the the, um, the crisis uh, in 08. I hated them for taking the homes of people I knew about. I hated them for charging me overdraft fees like all the time when I was poor and, and couldn't really uh, even afford having a bank account uh, when I was like 18, 19 years old. It's expensive to be poor, isn't it? It, it really is. Like I, at one point, um, I they changed the order of um, where my transactions. So I had to like calculate. And this is what people don't give poor people enough credit for is I had to calculate out when my paycheck was going to come, when my bills were going to get uh, paid, and then hope that I ordered them correctly so that I wouldn't get an overdraft fee. I did not. I proceeded to be charged something like $320 because then they every small transaction they did immediately after the largest transaction to force me to get like six or seven overdraft fees. And I had to go into J.P. Morgan Chase and basically argue with them about the, what they were doing, and they would not refund that money to me. And then to top it off, my paycheck went through at the same time. So then they took all that on my paycheck after they charged me the overdraft fees. And so, um, and then on top of that, like, look at what they did with the Epstein. They they funded a, a, a multi-billion-dollar you know, trafficking thing and have faced zero consequence. Nobody went to prison for that. Um, maybe they paid some fines. I don't know. Uh, but look at they've been funding criminals for years, knowingly knowing that these people are criminals and what they're doing and still face no consequence. And then to top that off, you go into like, a, you know, the whole like GameStop and uh, the, all the stuff with AMC and how uh, people on Wall Street have been uh, illegally shorted. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these people, they do it in every which way possible. It's legalized gambling, though, essentially. I mean, it's legalized because they got the state behind them for protection. I think it's worse. I think it's legalized fraud. Like, literally, these people sell things that don't exist. If you if you get really into the weeds on this, uh, which I, I was, you know, fascinated by that when it happened because I was a gamer when I was younger and, and, and loved movies. So I was, like, kind of, like, cheering these people on even though I didn't own any stock, you know? Yeah. And then... Um, well, that's what it is. It's, it's a... It's a uh, what do they call it? Uh, watching the stock market. Um, it's kind of a... Um, it's a what is, what's it called when you go and watch a sporting event? It's like an observer. Yeah, it's spectator. It's like a spectator sport. sport. Yeah, the stock market for ninety percent of the population is a spectator sport, and for some reason that's what's used to justify the strength of the economy when it's really I don't know, kind of like an emotional barometer for rich people. It goes up, it goes down. It's volatile. Um, I really don't think we should uh, be using the stock market uh, to, uh, you know, as a barometer for the strength of the economy. Because, again, for the most part, um, I I like this quip I've read before. Uh, When the stock market goes up, 
we get nothing. Uh, and then when it goes down, we all lose our jobs. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you know, it, it's interesting, especially as, you know, someone with the data background, because I look at these things, right? And and I can obviously see that there is uh, no correlation with the uh, health of the economy and the stock market. Um, in fact, the more you learn about the stock market, the more that you know that it's artificial. Um, the prices aren't the prices. Um, a good example right now is what's going on with those stocks that we talked about. Um, they They are essentially doing way better than they were uh, seven years ago, but their prices are below where they were seven years ago because they're being artificially shorted, uh, which is another way of saying that they're selling fake shares of these stocks to drive down the price of it. And uh, it's like the only thing in the world where you can, um, you can write an IOU to people, right? And that's treated as the same thing as the actual thing that uh, they're selling. And then that creates an artificial uh, kind of like, uh, they're dumping all these IOUs out there, and so it drives down the price. And they do that on purpose because um, most, you know, normal people they don't know anything about the stock market, and they're they're kind of hoping they they call these people like. And there's a movie coming out actually. I really want to see it. It's called Dumb Money, and uh, basically, it, it's about how these Wall Street people think that they take advantage and they screw over the moms and the pops and like the normal people who try to get into like the stock market, and that's why companies like Vanguard and BlackRock and all those 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 people tens of trillions of dollars in uh control they control tens of trillions of dollars in the economy i mean yeah it's insane yeah and they and it's not even their money it's right. your retirement it's your pension it's our money it's, exactly they they do that with our money and not only are they doing that with our money but they're doing that to screw over uh working class people on the daily and we still trust them with our our livelihood with our retirement. Well, I don't trust them, but you know, we're, we're kind of within the system. The funny thing about it is they want to privatize social security. Uh, and you know, they want to get, they want to privatize and get their hands on whatever money they can. So they can kind of put it in the global casino, uh, do yep. some magic tricks with money, turn a profit, even though the financial system, it's largely predatory. It's parasitic. It doesn't contribute anything to production. Um, and for for um, you know for for many people um, they have the same experience as you they're you know, kind of leeching uh, especially off of uh, poor people um, but you know the funny thing about like the financial um, system and the banks and Wall Street um, and just the establishment generally uh, they can't see more than a, a few months into the future you know always focused laser like on the next quarter on the next quarter's profits. But all of a sudden, as it relates to Social Security, uh, they're concerned about funding it, uh, you know, 50, 70 <laughs> years into the future. It's so absurd. When it's, it's very simple. They could just remove the cap on Social Security uh, the, way, the way it's taxed. And all these uh, rich people would have to pay more into the system that they're benefiting from that they don't even need. Yeah, and many of these, I guess, tr financial transactions, um, the turnaround time, you know, can be days, uh, weeks, um, you know, maybe even hours, uh, billions of these transactions a day. If we just put a tax on them, there's a lot of things we can do. Um, I've Absolutely. looked into the financial system, I guess, prior to the uh, deregulation um, accelerated by Reagan and Thatcher. We had the Bretton Woods banking system at that time, something like 95% of investment was um, to go was going to production and five percent going to speculation, 
And over the last 50 or so years, it's kind of completely been turned on its head. Now it's something like 95% speculation, 5% uh, production. Um, as And then I've, I've read articles. You can't even find good figures. Uh, the last one I've read is there's something, so as we kind of deregulate the financial system, there's all this dark money out there. It's floating out there. We can't find it. Uh, something like $21 trillion. I don't know how much that money is, but it's a lot. <laughs> you know, it's a ton of, ton yeah. of money. Uh, and a lot of that money is hoarded by rich people, offshored tax havens around the globe, the Panama Papers, um, and then we have oh, yeah. the Pandora Papers, uh, high-profile figures, politicians, even uh, the West's um, favorite darling in the face of the military-industrial complex, Zelensky, was <laughs> named in it. Uh, so he's got some dirty money hiding. And in these in these papers and these um, you know very um, courageous journalists, you know, putting these stories out there, you know, are attacked, targeted. Uh, Julian Assange, two whistleblowers, are attacked and targeted. Speaking of Obama, he uh, prosecuted more whistleblowers than any administration in history. And right now there's a ton of lawsuits going on. Assange has essentially been uh, confined for, I don't know now, maybe 10 years. I'm not even sure. And there's all this talk about extraditing him to the United States. And he faces something like 175 years in jail, all for exposing the truth and transparency. Yep. And unfortunately, the, the justice system in the United States telling the truth is not a, um, a, a good enough excuse to get out of uh, whatever your, <laughs> whatever your charge is. Absolutely true. And uh, free Julian Assange. <laughs> I feel the same way about um, Edward Snowden, too. I think his revelations were very uh, interesting to me. I want to go back to the Obama administration. The bulk of his uh, campaign funding and contributions were from Wall Street. They essentially put him in office. They uh, preferred um, Obama over John McCain. Uh, but obviously, the way most corporations do, you split up the money 50 50. I actually had a banking insider on a couple months ago, uh, and he said as much that he saw the campaign contributions for this large bank, this large corporation that he worked for, and they, they kind of split the money right down the middle. So, no matter who wins the election, they're going to get an ally. Uh, back office. both sides. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I think I tweeted this earlier today, I believe, didn't you retweet it? 95% of elections, the candidate that spends the most money wins. 80% of campaign funding uh, comes from a fraction of 1%, 0.25% of the population. Uh, and, and ironically, those are the people at the top of the income scale. So the money in politics is uh, probably the seeds of corruption in our society. I don't think the United States is a democracy. I think it's a kleptocracy or potentially uh, a plutocracy, basically um, government by the rich for the rich uh, and even um, – Princeton University, an Ivy League institution, 2014, um, basically said that uh, uh, I think 90% of the population is disenfranchised, meaning their preference yep. is not considered in policymaking. Only the people in the top 10% of the income scale do their opinions matter in policies, uh, policy formations, do their opinion, are their opinions accounted for uh, in Washington, D.C.? Absolutely true. And and not only that, but the illusion of democracy. Illusion, like that. Necessary illusions. That's what you're on right now. Yep. That's exactly what we have here. Our democracy died a long time ago. 
I don't think it ever existed. Well, it depends. I mean, if you're a Native American, if you were black, if you were a woman at the time of the inception of the United States, uh, yeah, there was no there was no democracy for you. But if you're a rich white person, a property owner, maybe you've owned some slaves, sure, you had a, you had a democracy, I guess, in, in theory at least. But there's a there's a there's a word for that that's not democracy. And oligarchy. It's, uh, oligarchy, exactly. That's right. Um, let's talk. Can we talk about maybe your, your crime spree a little bit here? Or we sure. Don't, we don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I'm no, fascinated. Cool. I, I love the, I love this political riffing. Um, we'll get to some political philosophy stuff. Um, I have some media stuff. I got all kinds of stuff I always write down. Uh, of course you sent me this big list. Um, your points to maybe a, a, a more democratic state. I dig it. Uh, I'm an anarchist, though. I don't really care about constitutions. I don't care about um, the Constitution of the United States, although I think they have some decent stuff in it. They just, unfortunately, it's not followed. When you have yeah. elites in there um, with an agenda, they can basically just, let's say, for example, the, the Supreme Court of the United States, which is appointed to lifetime terms, you're not voted on, so you're essentially unaccountable to the people. Um, they can basically just call out anything they like, call it un- uh, unconstitutional, and it goes away. So I don't even think they follow the Constitution. So we could have some great Constitution, some great piece of paper, and put it in place. Um, but if you have a certain sect of the population who's in power, it might not matter. But anyways, let's go to your let's go to your crime spree. This is fascinating. Um, I haven't had any guests on. All, all the guests I've had on have been great, having great conversations you are included but this is what interests me so i'd love to hear i'd love to hear about maybe your background uh i guess i wanted to bring up because i wrote some things down as you were talking you were it sounds like uh, facing economic hardship you were desperate yes what of the welfare state in the united states i think there's tons and tons of corporate welfare subsidies billions of dollars for these big corporations but not many for um, regular people uh, the social safety nets have been eroded in society so you kind of found yourself in desperate uh, times dire straits and uh, decided you needed to make some uh, <laughs> yeah basically you had to make some some uh, dangerous choice or I don't know how to you know can you talk to me about maybe the the safety nets the social support and lack thereof for someone struggling in the United States and how you kind of came to this decision of what you were going to do to get yourself out of this hole? Yeah, you know, uh, I have a background working uh, in government and I actually uh, worked for the welfare department uh, because when I was a child, I used to go into that building and uh, the idea that I would later, you know, be a person that would help people uh, was very important to me. And especially as a child, uh, the way I saw politics was uh, I watched the news at a very young age. I was about six years old. I remember uh, watching the television and seeing a a Democrat and a Republican on there. And one would talk about people on welfare in a nice way that we have to help these people. And then the other one would talk about that these people are freeloaders and that we need to kick them off welfare. And as someone who was given food stamps by his mother to go buy candy at the store, I, I resented those people. Uh, you know, I, I saw them as like, you know, against me and, and my family. And so uh, when I became a welfare worker, I, I tried my best to, to help people as much as I could. But I mean, there was times where I had to basically break the law or um, break the rules to get someone health care when they were dying from cancer. And I wasn't going to live with that as, as somebody, uh, you know, conceivably uh, responsible for making that decision. And so I would tell people how to get around some of these rules. And uh, ethically, uh, I felt it was the correct thing to do. So I had to make some ethical decisions that were, 
uh, you know, not black and white decisions. And so later on for myself, uh, you know, I tried to do everything the right way. I uh, went to school, uh, I got jobs. I was working, I graduated high school at a young age and, uh, you know, I tested out like three years early. And so I, I tried to go to college early, but then I ended up having to get jobs because I was poor. And so I worked, you know, like uh, customer service jobs at, you know, various retail stores. And none of my family has money. Nobody in my family ever owned a house or graduated from college. And so for me, uh, the fact that I went to college, the fact that, you know, I was kind of building my life up, uh, felt like it, it was an accomplishment. And later on, I worked for the government, I managed to save money and start a business. And the business, uh, we, we got robbed. Uh, there was multiple break-ins into our business. And we had insurance, but the insurance wouldn't cover the break-ins. And I had just bought a house. And I felt like, and this was, you know, right before uh, the whole collapse uh, that happened. And so um, when that happened and I was going to lose my house, and I was going to lose my business and the insurance company wasn't going to pay us what they were supposed to pay us for those break-ins. Um, I felt like I had no choice but to do something. And so I looked up all these different ways of trying to make money or trying to, you know, short-term uh, pay the bills until we can maybe get the insurance money to finally go through or afford a lawyer to fight these people. And uh, so that's when I, you know, started. It, it's, it's actually, I feel like bank robbery is a, not a correct term for it uh, because you're essentially not actually doing that. It, it's more taking advantage of the, uh, there's training that they go through at banks uh, where you're supposed to, uh, in the event of uh, asking for money in a certain manner, uh, you can be given that money, but it's considered a robbery. And so I never threatened anyone. I never used violence. I never yelled at anyone. I would just follow this procedure that they had in place, and I would get the money, and I would leave. And I never hurt anyone. And then I was recognized from the news, uh, and uh, they surrounded me and arrested me. And this was you, after, did, you did a couple. Uh, it wasn't just one. It was, it was a few, a handful, maybe. I was about twenty-one. Whoa, interesting. Yeah. I was I was pretty uh, good at it, <laughs> but uh, you know, mostly because I was able to turn off the fear part of you know uh, through kind of like working through that mentally, and also just like just hating the banks. You know, made it a lot easier. And um, so I. When I got caught, uh, obviously I ended up uh, going to prison for some time. And uh, when I got out, it was, you know, about 2019. So it wasn't too long ago. And uh, everything had changed. Uh, the world was a lot different than it you was. You got out in 2019? Yes. And can you talk about, you know, some of these questions, if it's too personal, no worries. But yeah, how long were you in there? Uh, about four or five years. Oh, wow. Okay. This is a state prison, federal prison? Federal. What do you think of the um, What do you think of the prison system? Um, what do you think about, I guess, having almost no rights? Well, I think it's uh, the, the prison system is is you know to a degree our perception of the prison system is different than the reality of it. Um, there is a lot of violence, uh, especially with the uh, correctional officers. Um, you would think that the people in the most violent people would be the, the criminals in there, but no, it's, it's the opposite. Um, but yeah, you know, for the most part, I think that the, the criminal justice system is broken, terribly broken. And I think it's designed that way. 
All right, so you were angry at the banking system. Uh, The Obama administration bailed out the greedy bankers who crashed the economy, did not bail out the American people. Uh, One of the problems was the banks were too big to fail. And, of course, after the banks were bailed out, they were bigger uh, and more powerful than ever. And it seems like every seven years there's another um, bubble that bursts. Uh, the, the next will be bigger than the last. Surely it's how it always is uh, by design. So they, yeah. By design. It, it's actually built into the business model. The bankers know if they take on and make risky investments that can potentially be very lucrative, uh, if they don't pay off and, and it crashes the economy, they know because um, again, they're too big to fail. It's the way it's designed. They know the taxpayers will come to the rescue and, and bail them out. Uh, But I think a better um, solution to this would be uh, instead of bailing out the bankers, putting them in jail instead of um, small time folks like you, (laughs) you know. Uh, (laughs) But anyways, you were angry at the banking system. Uh, You kind of made a decision to target them uh, to maybe get out of your financial distress. Uh, Did you think you're going to get away with it? I mean, I I did get away with it for a while. Um, My problem was... uh, I was too overconfident in some respects with doing it. And then other problem is that I was uh, in a bad mental state. You know, I was deeply depressed and uh, it becomes when you're, when you're depressed and you're feeling very low about yourself and, and your self-esteem is, is very low. Uh, you, those types of highs that you get from, those those acts become addictive and yeah. it, it becomes something where you get validation from that. And when I say you, I'm obviously talking about myself, but I'm, uh, I, I guess it's a psychological thing to separate myself from my own actions. So I don't feel as much guilt about it. Uh, and, and to a degree, I, so you're psychoanalyzing yourself now. Uh, you say that's kind of how you're looking at it. You're looking back at, the mental state you were and trying to understand and now you're cycle analyzing yourself and your mental state at the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do, uh, it's, it's a hobby of mine, actually. I'm very interested in human psychology and uh, something that uh, they actually teach you uh, when you go through uh, certain programs uh, in prison. One of them is a rehabilitation program that they, they give people with, uh, drug problems. I actually didn't have a drug problem, but I tried to do the program because it's the way you can get a year off from your sentence. I didn't get it because apparently big robbers don't get it. So, uh, but I uh, learned a lot. And one of the things I learned about is uh, cognitive behavioral science, right? Yeah. So being able to, uh, you know, think about things logically and uh, objectively. So I, I have to be aware of, of my mindset and, and where I was when I was going through those things. So I don't ever get to that space again. So yeah, neuroscience is a hobby of mine. I actually just had a neuroscientist on two nights ago, but I find it fascinating. I find the brain fascinating, uh, psychology, philosophy, all those things. Um, Me too. So you were kind of getting careless, maybe risky. Um, would you say you kind of slipped up a little bit or, uh, is that yeah, fair so, or no? So the way I was caught was, um, there was a, uh, a homeless man. And one of the things I would do uh, whenever they would give me bills that I thought were possibly marked or uh, there's a procedure that they do when they they give you bills. And it's obvious sometimes when they give you marked bills. And so I would 
give these bills instead of throwing them away. I would just give them to homeless people. And so I tried to give some of this to a homeless man. And it turns out he recognized me from the newspaper and from uh, the the news at the time, because I was doing so many in such a you know, finite amount of time. And uh, he called police and, and, you know, I just didn't think about it. I didn't, I didn't even, it didn't occur to me that that would be a possibility. Uh, one is I kind of felt like the guy wouldn't do that to me, uh, but apparently, you know, I hope he got a reward. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. What do you think about that? Kind of an acting like a narc. Here, here's one thing I've always found curious. Like uh, when I was living in the big city, like Baltimore, for example, I remember uh, at a, at a grocery, local grocery, someone was trying to run out of there with a duffel bag full of food and kind of the way I see it, um, if you see someone stealing food, no, you didn't. And damn right, um, yeah, damn right. And um, and yet, an employee put his life on the line trying to wrestle this food away from this man that I'm sure desperately needed it. And I'm like, why are you putting your life on the line, possibly risking bodily injury? You don't know if this person is packing heat uh, or a weapon of some kind, uh, and if they're gonna steal they probably need it pretty bad uh and yeah. you know what are you making um you know 12 bucks an hour 15 bucks an hour um for a company that you know couldn't give a, a crap about you and if you call it off a few days in a row uh they'll without sick time they just probably <laughs> fire you so i just i just don't get that mindset i guess people are just um indoctrinated and think uh you know i guess i don't know i guess internalize the values of a capitalist system but uh, I don't see robbery um, without, without, at least with a wep- without a weapon, as violent. I don't see like you know stealing food as a violent crime. In the way I see it, again, uh, if if you're going to be stealing food, you probably desperately need it. So I'm going to look the other way. You know, it's a, it's crimes of desperation, and I think that's something. I've actually been there. I've actually stolen food before. Um, I was about 16, and uh, I was living on my own. I was kicked out of my my house, and um, I was. Uh, I had my own place, but, you know, I got laid off and I was waiting for my unemployment to come in and we ran out of food, me and my, my roommates, none of us had jobs at the time. We all kind of lost our jobs around the same time. And so we went to the store and we, you know, loaded up the bags and then just like ran out and this uh, rent-a-cop like literally like chased us through the parking lot. Uh, and it was one of those things where it was like a survival thing, you know, like we didn't, we, we hadn't eaten for two days, like you know, and we're all like teenage boys. Uh, so our metabolisms were, were crazy and we were starving and we we're just like, this is what we got to do. I got uh, a quarter take of gas left and I'm going to go get this food, you know? Um, but yeah, I think that when it comes down to it, our perspective in society is a little bit of an indoctrination, uh, a little bit. Uh, I, think I would argue a, a lot, a lot of indoctrination, not no. a little bit, a lot of it. Yeah. Well, I, I agree, um, but I also think that there's individual psychology at play because I know a lot of security guards who would have your attitude. Hey, man, you know, I'm not risking my life for this this job, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that to, to a degree, those people, um, they have a self-image about themselves. I, now I'm analyzing their psychology, but... I think they're doing the right thing. They think that they are doing the right thing and they think that exactly. you're morally wrong. So, yeah, they're doing it probably out of morality and what they think is right. And, and a little bit, I'm, I'll, I'll be totally honest here, I think it's a little bit of an ego thing, right? Like they want to power. be the hero. 
Yeah, being, yeah. being part of the security forces, police, or whatever, it's power. You maybe have a weapon, and yeah, you have authority over another individual, uh, and you can use um, physical force uh, to subdue them. And even if you're a Renicop, I mean, I think it'd be all uh, well and just, right, or legal uh, if they would use violence to apprehend you. I don't know. I don't know the criminal code and that sort of thing for uh, security guards and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I think uh, as as mass incarceration. Um, you know, continues. Um, I think it, it was on the downward slide a little bit during COVID, and now it's back on the rise. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I think um, prison guard is one of the fastest growing white collar uh, jobs in the United States. I don't know if that's still the case, but uh, yeah, the security forces in general, and then the Biden administration talked about uh, putting a hundred thousand more cops uh, on the streets um, as they continue to commit violence against the citizens uh, of the United States. Um, and I always, I always mention this one. Uh, I'm definitely for defund the police. Um, whether or not uh, a community wants to abolish it, I would leave it up to the local members to that community. I am an anarchist. I believe in uh, democracy. So if a community doesn't want to have police, if they want some sort of community uh, policing, um, that's fine by me. If they want to just abolish it completely, that's fine by my, me too. I believe in, again, uh, anarchism, uh, anarcho-syndicalism, and I would leave it up to the communities. One of the issues, uh, maybe we'll get to your big, um, you got a sub stack and I checked it out. Uh, I just don't think that human beings or an, an individual is smart enough to, um, come up with the, come up and plan an entire society out. I think there has to be democratic participation. Um, I like what you sent me. Uh, I like the Substack. I, I read it for sure. But again, if you have uh, a ruling class and a great constitution, uh, I think the people in power are going to uh, um, pick and choose, you know, how that whatever constitution or the code of law is enforced. I really like here. I got a book by Chomsky, The Umbrella of U.S. Power. Uh, in the back of the book here, they have the Uni- Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So I don't know if you've read that, but I think that one's really, really good. Uh, I think it was pretty much internationally agreed upon following World War II, uh, but a lot of these, <laughs> a lot of these uh, universal declarations of human rights are, um, you know, just rhetoric. They're not really enforced, and there's no tooth to enforce them. And the United States doesn't abide by many of these, and actually enables countries like Israel to completely disregard some of these. Uh, human rights that were agreed upon. So Absolutely. again, my, my issue with your Substack is I just don't think that human beings are capable of just designing, um, a society. I think there's a lot of good stuff out there for designing society, including maybe even our constitution. Um, but again, if you have uh, a ruling class and people that are sympathetic to wealth and power, like the Supreme court or the Republican party and to a little bit lesser extent, but essentially we have two, uh, we have one party in the United States, the business party with two factions, uh, and not Very much true. different than just the rhetoric. But anyways, let's go back to, I digress, talking and throwing in some politics stuff, because that's what I like to do. Let's go back to your story, though. Find it fascinating. Maybe we'll talk again sometime. Uh, quoting you here, so many in a finite amount of time. So how, what was the amount of time? Is this talk, are we talking like weeks, months? Yeah, about, about a month. About a month. And you would, would you sometimes do multiple banks in a day uh, or just yes. one at a time? Well, I did four in a day once. And, um, and this was like, so there's like some procedure where you go up and the teller knows what's going on. You're not going to use violence. They're not going to, um, you know, resist you. You just kind of get some money and you go on your way. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's 
being policy and procedure uh, that in the event that you know somebody uh, inquires about uh, money uh, that they're supposed to cooperate. So what would you say uh, again? If any of these questions are too, um, you know, too personal, uh, let's let's move right on, and I'll, I'll ask something different. But what would you say? Uh, did you have a procedure? Did you have like a uh, a way of doing things, or did you kind of mix it up? So I can't go into too much detail about it. Um, yeah. I'm not sure what the the rules are. Yeah. Uh, for for me, uh, okay. explaining the process because then. Am I encouraging others? Oh, right? got and, it. Okay, I understand. Yeah, of and course. So uh, I will say that uh, I was just very um, polite mm -hmm. and and I treated people with kindness, and but I was also giving instructions, right? Um, yeah. So I think that there's a, a certain degree. I, I try to be empathetic to people who are just doing their job. Yeah. And, I, I one of the things that's always bothered me is when people are you know disrespectful or rude to people who are just like giving you your food and uh, have a miserable life you know yeah. for the most part. No doubt. And so uh, I, I I try to empathize with the people I was interacting with, and I think it helped uh, to a degree. Um, yeah. Some of these people I don't think I, I, I a couple of times I just explained my situation to them, right, and said basically I know. Uh, how this policy works and they cooperated um one, one person did not cooperate and it was kind of funny uh he he gave me a lot of attitude actually yeah uh, he, he basically told me like like he kept like telling me uh like ah oh, like <laughs> does this have to happen today do you have to be here today and i'm like <laughs> and i'm like yeah. well like can can you just you know do this and he's yeah. just like oh <laughs> and it was like and then the whole time I'm like thinking like man I am risking so much right now and this guy just like has gives zero fucks right that sounds just, hilarious yeah <laughs> kind of funny right like, I know like completely just like whatever like you're wasting my time right now why are you yeah. even here why are you like you're you're like hey bro come back in 15 minutes like come on man i'm trying to you know i'm trying to just get this email out like you're really yeah yeah no i'm kidding but have you thought about writing a book this is fascinating stuff here uh you know i've thought about it um it's it, it's a so I, I actually write fiction as like a hobby and I've, I've, I've dabbled with, you know, the article writing, although it's not my passion. Yeah. Uh, but the only problem is something that's a very emotional thing for me. It kind of clouds my ability to write about it. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, I've been told uh, that I should, you know, bring this to various people to try to get it made. But uh, also, you know, what, what impact is that going to have on my family, uh, career prospects, you know, right. like things right. like that. So um, I've thought about just the balancing the impact it's going to possibly have on my life if it, you know, becomes uh, well-known. And then if it if it doesn't, then like what's the value of that, right? What, what kind of money are we talking about? Uh, are we talking about life-changing money? Are we talking about millions of dollars on these um you know, these little uh, excursions that you went on um, <laughs> or are we talking about, you know, a couple hundred, a couple thousand dollars here and there? Yeah. So the, the part of the reason uh, if, if, if you're not using a weapon, uh, you're, you're not getting a whole lot of money. Right. So that's part of the reason why I had to do so many. Um, you are getting a good amount, uh, much more than most people make in a month. Right. Um, so I was always cognizant of that and, aware of that, but, you know, 
I was not willing to cross that line to use a weapon. Yeah. And so um, I was willing to gamble on doing volume rather than one big one or whatever because of the psychological effect it would have on me. Um, you know, there were there were times I thought about it because I was like, like if I just do one of these, you know, the other way, um, I don't have to keep doing this, right? Yeah. Uh, but it was, I, I came to the, you find a lot about who you are as a person and, and where your lines are and your boundaries are and what you're willing to do uh, for money. Yeah. And uh, I hate, I hate it, you know, that society and our system makes people into that mental state. Because I thought a lot about where I was mentally and what I was willing to do and what other people have had to do when they were put in similar situations. And so that definitely informs my politics, uh, definitely why I'm very empathetic to people with criminal backgrounds, uh, not just from uh, just my experience, uh, you know, actually being in the system, but also just from a, uh, I'm less willing to pass judgment on people uh, for economic crimes, right? Yeah. Uh, the only people I'll pass judgment on for economic crimes are the people who uh, destroy lives. The real criminals, those sitting on Wall Street in boardrooms. <laughs> exactly. Like the the, the idea, because I was in there with people who uh, ripped off the life savings of old people, yeah. right? Like, and uh, literally pushed people to commit suicide because they their life was ruined financially. And they got a couple of years, right? And then some dude who's you know, selling weed uh, gets like 10 years because he had a gun or something, right? He, he right. never used the gun. He never, uh, you know, used it in the course of his, his, his crime, but because he had it, there you go, 10 years. So, you know, like those are the things where um, I try to understand everyone's circumstances, but the only ones I'm willing to really pass judgment on are the ones who hurt other people. Uh, hurt kids or like, you know, like financially ruin other people like they do on Wall Street. So here's my thought. I think that uh, I like Norway criminal justice system. Uh, I oppose the death penalty. Uh, I believe in rehabilitation over punishment. Um, and I think, you know, more laws are rarely the answer to improving, you know, society. Uh, and certainly not more lawyers. Um, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> don't so for I, that. I think um, I would say like maybe you, you put a cap on it. Um, you know, so Norway, I think it has this, the, one of the best uh, recidiv- recidivism rates. Is that what I'm saying that right? But uh, yep. basically they're not, they get out of prison, they don't commit a crime again. Um, they, they treat human beings with dignity. You know, they give them some freedom. Um, they give them, I think like kind of like their own little apartment, at least some of the they, stuff I was reading and, and looking at. They treat at, them like human beings. Human beings, right. Uh, so yeah, what do you think about that though? Like, you know, I think a society, a civilized society tends to be less harsh, even for the most vulnerable people in society. And sometimes those are the people that are, uh, that commit crimes because they don't have any other choice sometimes. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, I think like poverty is a systemic, um, issue. I don't think it's an individual issue. Uh, and I think it's the tell, tell sign of a society that has failed. I also think that, um, the need for charity is um, basically would be an obs- uh, it would be obsolete in a functioning society. We should build in 
uh, you know, to the tax model instead of, um, you know, relying on billionaires to fund, um, you know, some sort of social program. I think if we had uh, a functioning welfare system with expanded, um, you know, health care, uh, universal health care and social security and maybe even universal basic income, uh, people would be a lot better off, especially not tying health care to your job, making employees uh, much more easy to exploit. Uh, but what do you think about, like, um, like I think for the worst criminal offense, you know, maybe a mass shooting or something like that, I'd put a cap on it. And I think, you know, once you pay your debt to society, I think you should get all your human rights back. Uh, and maybe we top it out at 20 years, 25 years, something along those lines. Uh, I'm just kicking out ideas here. I'm not a lawyer. I haven't studied law. Um, but I think, yeah, 20 years behind bars um, is a lot of time. I mean, that's, a, that's almost a lifetime. Um, you know, 20, 25 years. Uh, I'm certainly not for uh, the death penalty. Um, so what do you think about, like, uh, this is just an idea I've had. I kind of bounced it off some people. I never brought it up on the podcast. But 20, 25 years total in jail for the worst possible heinous act you can think of. Uh, what do you think about that? So what, what I could tell you from my experience with the criminal justice system is I've seen men who, you know, went in when they were young, young men, right? And then they, when I met them, they were old men. And the person that they were at that point um, was not the same person they were when that happened. And it was difficult for me to reconcile somebody who did lose a family member, uh, you know, to violent crime uh, and somebody who I, I would have supported being executed when I was younger. Um, and part of it is. is and, and what do you think now about that? And what do you think now about that? I, I would think differently. And part of that is wisdom. And uh, part of it is the emotional distance from when it happened, right? Um, so if I'm just being objective and fair, I, I would agree more with your system. And we're also factoring the fact that this is a capitalist society that we're talking about. And this is a thought experiment. I have no power or influence, but just just a thought experiment. 20, 25 years, something along those lines. That seems like a lot of time in bars to re rehabilitate someone, and I totally agree. I'm sure the person uh, that's in this uh, hypothetical system that we're trying to set up here would be a much different person uh, and that, at, the end, at the end of that 20 or 25 years. And if they still, maybe we could have some sort of social worker determine in a democratic process is this person still a threat to society? Uh, if they paid their time, they went through the right rehabilitation, they should be allowed to get all their rights back. I also disagree with um, limiting your right to vote or um, having it Absolutely. on your record so that you can only have so many employment options. Having a record, uh, what does it do? But It's a disciplinary method to, I guess, limit your choice. And a lot of times, um, if you can't get a job, you're probably going to go back to the same uh, you know, uh, path in life, which is commit crimes to, to make ends meet if you're in dire straits again, right? So I don't understand why there would be this criminal record or need for it. Once you pay your debts to society, you should get out and have the same opportunities as the next person. But uh, I mean, so, I, I, I guess maybe, um, you know, maybe some professions, you don't want someone with a a violent criminal background to be like, like childcare or teaching maybe, for example, exactly. I guess, you know? So yeah, I'm just thinking out loud here, but yeah. What do you think about all that stuff? I just said, I'm trying to be, I'm, I'm a, I'm a voice of the voiceless kind of thing. You know, I'm, I'm trying to speak for the people that are marginalized in society. We no longer have a 
welfare state or a, a functioning safety net. So uh, the most marginalized people, the, the most vulnerable people, the superfluous, they're typically just put in jail to rot. So yes. uh, I want to I transform this system and make it a better place, a uh, better society to live in. So these are just kind of ideas. This podcast is about ideas, and I'm just kind of throwing them out there. Uh, let me know what you think of them. Well, I, I love them. I, I think that one of the important things that people should keep in mind is when you're looking at the person who's done something wrong in the past, uh, you should evaluate the person as they are then, not as they were, uh, you know, as they are uh, in the moment that you're evaluating them, not who they were before, right? Um, when you look at certain individuals who, uh, there, there, there was a kid in there, um, he was like 16, and uh, him and his buddies did like a heist, and he was a getaway driver. And he was a 16 year old. He didn't even know what, what was happening. You know, he was, he was brought in and, you know, uh, went to this place. It turns out they killed someone. Right. Um, so he was in there for like 45 years or some. Yeah. What's the deal life. with trying children, juveniles as adults? That's absurd to me. It's always been absurd to me. Um, you know, why have this number arbitrary number of 18 or something like that? Now you're an adult, you know, uh, but then take it away. Um, on some cases, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. If you're a child, your brain's not fully developed. Uh, I don't think that happens until you're in your mid twenties. I would argue that's, that sounds like a good time to be an adult. Um, but as it relates to voting rights, yeah, I want to expand democracy. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know where to draw the line for trying someone as an adult, but if you're looking at psychology, cognitive science, that kind of stuff. I don't think your brain is fully developed until you're in your mid twenties. So from a legal standpoint, um, I would be open to trying individuals as juveniles up until 25, but as relates to voting. Yeah. I mean, I think if you can be, um, a member of the armed forces, then you certainly should be able to vote. And I think maybe even allowing younger people to vote. Um, the climate crisis is going on right now. It could be an existential issue that wipes us all out. So, you know, people that are in, in their teens right now, they have a lot more invested in the future of the climate than we do. Uh, you know, we're kind of <laughs> we're kind of halfway out of this, uh, you know, life or at least, you know, kind of getting to that midpoint in our lives. I'm not sure. We're probably about the same age, give or take. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're kind of near the midpoint. The people that are teenagers right now, uh, they, they have a lot more invested in the future of climate. Um, and if we don't address yeah. it now, they, they're not going to have much of the future. So, you know, it, climate's interesting. Um I'm going to start with the uh, still doing the your idea for the criminal justice system, which is like 20, 25 years. I yeah. think that's I think that's a fair maximum sentence. I think that what would make sense is for there to be a step process, you know, where people are gradually acclimated to uh, regular life again. And they sort of try to do that with halfway houses, but it's just a terrible system. Uh, the people at the halfway houses are you know, miserable and, and the people there are miserable, uh, the uh, ex-convicts. And then the the process makes sense in, in that it's about rehabilitation, right? They're trying to give them the resources to begin their life again. However, I would run into these situations where I would have to tell employers that I was at the halfway house, right? And what that would entail for them, the legal ramifications of that. And I was told straight up like this, guys, like my insurance won't cover you. I want to hire you. I think you'd be great, but my, my insurance won't cover you. And so if I was given more time to use the internet, you know, look for jobs and things like that prior to, you know, beginning the process, um, maybe I could have uh, acclimated faster if there was actually like a, a considered 
and thoughtful process for people to, uh, you know, re-enter uh, normal society. Um, so I think that that's part of it also, and and that could be part of the, you know, like you said, a social worker, someone evaluating someone is if this individual uh, did something heinous 25 years ago, and it's not something relevant to the job that they're applying for, why should it be factored in, right? Um, if, if you know, for instance, like me, I probably shouldn't work at a bank. I'll give them that, right? Uh, but if, if I'm not applying for banks, why is it uh, coming upon me to, in those situations, make the likelihood of me being hired much smaller? And, uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, that, I just think that uh, anything like restorative justice-wise makes sense. You know, you, you create a harm in society and you try to fix it and you try to, um, you know, make things right with the people. You know, I try to actually send letters of apology to the uh, tellers uh, that, you know, I. Yeah, not the banks. Can, Screw the no. banks. But, yeah, the tellers that you uh, maybe caused yeah, you know, mental hardship. I agree. Good, good work out of you. Definitely. And they, they told me I couldn't do it. And uh, they said that I, that I could cause them more uh, mental anguish. And I'm yeah. like. That seems wrong to me, but I accepted it, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, for me, it was more or less like, you know, it, I, I wanted them to know that, you know, I, I did think about how they felt and, and I was sorry. And they said that was not permissible. So uh, so the idea of restorative justice is, does not exist in our justice system, right? They don't give you that opportunity. Uh, but, you know, in terms of uh, our society, I think we would all be better off that these people who went there uh, went to these, uh, I, you know, I was kept in a room for over a year, like just a room, right? So what um, do you think and, about solitary confinement? I think that it is uh, a form of torture. I think it is uh, wrong. I think it's immoral. I think it's cruel and unusual. What do you think about solitary confinement? I just read an article about uh, some guy that was... I forget he has that he had like the record. I guess he killed a a corrections officer, and they basically threw the book at him. Uh, he had twenty three hours a day in the cell for decades, just decades. Uh, I don't know what that would do mentally to a person. That sounds just like complete mental torture. Uh, and even if he was a heinous criminal, which I guess he was. Uh, I still think that that's cruel, unusual. I think that's a form of torture. So generally, what do you think about, um, you know, uh, solitary confinement and its use in the U.S. criminal justice system? Well, you know, to a degree, it, it is torture, right? Um, think about the effect of this person. If, you, if they're already a heinous criminal and someone who's done something very bad, what, what what's a year of torture going to do to them, right? Is it going to help them? Is it going to make them less likely, uh, more psychologically uh, you know, uh, safer uh, for everyone? No, it's it's most likely not going to. Um, for me, uh, you know, I was kept in a room. I didn't have uh, sunlight. Um, there was a, a window, but they spray painted the windows. Um, they said it was to keep, you know, the you know people from communicating with the outside with sign language or some excuse. But to me, it was them depriving us of direct sunlight, right? Um, and then, uh, you know, you get a lot of time alone with your thoughts. I luckily was able to read. Uh, I slept a lot. <laughs> I uh, exercised a lot. Uh, but ultimately, it's it's you have to figure out what to do with that time. And uh, being alone with your thoughts, especially for someone like myself, I'm uh, fairly extroverted. It was very hard, you know. Um, I've adapted. You know, it, it's one of those things where if it doesn't kill you, it has to make you stronger, right? And... Uh, I, I definitely think it's something that should be treated 
as a, a type of torture. Now, there are individuals who are probably not safe to keep in the general population. And so I think it should be an option for those people. I think that they should actually have the choice um, as to you know what they want to do. Um, but I, I don't think it should be something that is treated as like, oh, this is just something that you, because uh, there's, a, I guess there maybe are some people who are just deeply introverted who would probably be like, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> but in yeah. actuality, when, when you get there, it's, it's, it's not. Um, but I, I think that it should be an option for people if they, they are in danger in the general population. But I don't think it should be something that is uh, the right of the incarcerating people to do because they will literally stick everyone in one if they had the choice. We got less than five minutes to go. You up for maybe doing another podcast in the future and picking up where we left off? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we had a ton to talk about. And yeah, let's uh, let's let's. We got a few more minutes. Uh, I, I'm just interested in what you were reading in prison, and I'll leave you with that last question. Uh, and th- maybe that have uh, some inspiration for you as as you kind of um, th- you know kind of came to terms, I guess, with your political ideology. But yeah, what were you reading? And uh, you know, four minutes to go, and start talking about whatever you want. This is a it's a great discussion, Cicero, and we'll do it again sometime. Go ahead. Sure. Um, you know, like I, I'm a I'm a fan of of literature, so I've read a lot of the classics. I've I read a lot of uh, you know science fiction, fantasy, and of course, like nonfiction, um, the biographies of of individuals of people like um, Lenin. I read his biography, the biography of Marx. Um, I, I read uh, some uh, random books, uh, like Forty Eight Laws of Power. Um, books on psychology. Uh, what classics? Rocker. You said some classics. What classics did you read? And you said the Rudolf Rocker and Narcosyndicalism book. Yeah. Heck yeah, buddy. Yeah, and uh, I I'm I'm very interested in uh, oh in terms of like uh, the classics, you yeah. know, um, things like uh, Grapes of Wrath. Um, I, I'm a big Steinbeck fan. A Steinbeck. Um, and then, he was for uh, the working class, right? Then that's what pretty much that book was about, the migrant workers. I actually want to plug uh, A Valley of Tears, a documentary that happened in my neck of the woods down here in Texas about migrant workers. So check it out sometime, uh, you or anyone else listening. Uh, Valley of Tears on YouTube. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to look into that because I haven't, I haven't seen it. Um, yeah, he actually was from a, an area, one of the, the, the banks I robbed was actually in his hometown. Uh, and I remember seeing his museum there. And so like, that's one of the reasons I felt the impetus to actually like read the book. I read it, I think in high school, but it was really like high school, you're getting forced to read something. So it's kind of harder. Um, so, you know, like things like sign back, Nabokov, um, there's like the, all the Russian, you know, crime and punishment, uh, war and peace. You have a lot of time. So these giant books are like, you know, awesome. When you Where's have your books from? Did you have uh People send you books. Did you have these books and buy them, or were they in the prison library? Uh, for the most part, they're either in the library or people have them sent in. A lot of us exchanged books when we had pod time, um, which was you know like you're able to you know interact briefly and people would kind of like swap books, right? Um, which is so funny because you basically have these book clubs of like you know hardened criminals. Uh, you know some of the guys were in there for like murder. Or, you know, like, and, well, I, I feel like the, the theme of this book is, yeah. you know, a childhood acceptance for who you are, you know? Yeah, that's um, cool. Uh, were some books banned? Was there censorship? Oh, absolutely. Um, there are you know, things like the Anarchist Cookbook and things that, um, 
I'm guessing political ideologies that they were banned. Um, I, I couldn't get the, uh, I, I like I read like the the manifesto, but I couldn't get the um, other like Marxist literature. Um, it was just they wouldn't either come in or you couldn't find them in the library. Um, anything you want to promote? You're on Twitter. We got about a minute to go. Where can people find you? Uh, you have a Substack too, so go ahead and promote yourself, promote your ideas. Where can people find you? You know, I I'm more. Uh, if you want to uh, follow me on Twitter, I'm Citizen Cicero. Uh, it's Citizen underscore Cicero. But mostly, uh, I'm just here to talk about ideas. I think that uh, leftists are typically people open to different ideas, and I think that we should all uh, be open to uh, things that are outside of our wheelhouse. So this was something I'm, I was hesitant to do, but I really enjoyed it. I appreciate you having me on. All right, my friend. Yeah, I, this was a great discussion. Um, I got so many more questions um, and just not enough time tonight. But we will do this again. We'll stay in touch, and uh, I look forward to it. Uh, I appreciate your time tonight, and uh, have a good rest of your uh, night. Have a good weekend, and we'll stay in touch and do it again. You too. Take care. Adios. See ya. Peace. Thank you for listening to Necessary Illusions. Also want to thank my special guest, Cicero, Voice of the People, for a good discussion tonight on his crimes of despair, as well as his experience within the U.S. criminal justice system. This was a very candid and interesting experience for me tonight, and perhaps we can get together again and take an even deeper dive. Again, I am your host, MC Squared, No gods, no masters, I'm out. Thank you.